Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm the editor of Royals Review, Max Reaper. We've taken a bit of a hiatus for the postseason, but now that the offseason's upon us, we're back and we're ready to talk about the Royals. And here to join me, as always, is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how's your offseason been so far? It's good. I'm back. I'm filled, filled to the brim with hot takes. I've just been saving them, writing them down every night. You know, when I go to bed and wake up, I'll, I'll jot one down. I'm ready to to uh, unlock uh launch them unleash that's why we call you the skip bayless of royals review i think uh, that you're going to live up to that this off season so that's great uh also joining us is matthew lamar matthew how are you doing uh, in this hot stove season i'm doing pretty good the only disappointing and slightly depressing thing is that the off season will go on literally for another five months um depending on whether or not you think spring training is part of the off season or not if not then it's going to go on for another four months it's going to be a long road this always happens when your team doesn't make the playoffs. That's that's Matthew Lamar there to always uh, lift your spirits in this cold uh, November day. Uh, also joining us is the only writer on our staff who is an official card-carrying member of the Baseball Writers of America, Craig Brown. Craig, how are you doing? Doing well, Max. Thanks. Well, uh, you know, we do have some Royals news. Uh, the worst-kept secret in baseball became official last week as the Royals introduced Mike Matheny as the 17th full-time skipper of the Kansas City Royals. Matheny, of course, managed the Cardinals for six and a half seasons. He won 55% of his games and was the first manager to make the playoffs in his first four seasons. But he was dismissed midway through the 2018 season with a 47-46 and 46 record amidst some uh, rumors that his uh, clubhouse had some tensions. Uh, Matthew, you wrote an article expressing some reservations at the, about the Matheny hire. I think typically when you'd see that resume, I think a lot of Royals fans would be doing backflips, but... Um, there are a lot of concerns I think you voiced. What are some of your concerns about this hire with Mike Matheny? Yeah, I think there are some some le- legitimate concerns. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I, I'm not like a lot, like a lot of people seem to be on, their, on the Internet to be like a really, um, you know, anti-Matheny. Uh, I thought his press conference and the news out of the press conference and everything that he said um, or, and has said in the time since has, has been pretty, you know, pretty, pretty positive. Um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's not really that difficult to do what he, what he did necessarily, but he hit all the beats. He said all the right things. And I certainly am, um, you know, um, happy that he seems to have taken uh, responsibility for, you know, getting better in the things that he, that he, you know, was criticized of. Um, the one of the things that he did was uh, he completed a baseball analytics course um, with this organization uh, that's called Sports Management Worldwide. Um, so you know those are those are all positives, and I'm certainly more positive on the Mycenae hire than a lot of people. But I still think that there are two sort of big negatives to the hire. One is opportunity cost. Um, you know, Pedro Grafal still has yet to be hired somewhere else, but Pedro Grafal. Peter Griffal is a well-respected internal, you know, candidate that, um, you know, may leave the organization because the Royals didn't, you know, hire him, um, didn't promote him. Um, another thing is, you know, we don't know. It's entirely possible that a different manager would be a better uh, fit for the Royals, um, but the Royals seemed very hell-bent on hiring Matheny, so we won't ever know that. So that's that's one downside. The other downside is, and, and I tweeted this afterwards is um, there's a sort of sort of the real reason why Matheny was was fired. Sort of the last straw was his handling of the clubhouse and his handling of um, 
both Dexter Fowler, who was uh, who told reporters the next season that he, you know, he was suffering from you know depression, um, and then uh, he had just the weird incident with with Bud Norris um, and Jordan Hicks, um, and those that seems to be a really big deal, especially in considering you know the Royals' recent history in light of uh, you know Danny Duffy and even Zach Greinke if you go back further. Um, so that those are two pretty big red you know red flags, but. Ultimately, I don't think the manager by himself can do, you know, can change the entire direction of the organization. You know, he's not the most important player. Um, and by player, I mean he's not the most important employee in the organization. So, you know, I guess I guess that's a really long-winded way to say he's got some warts, but I guess we'll see. You, you talked about the press conference, and I agree. I think he came off really well in that press conference. He said a lot of the right things, seemed very kind of introspective and talked about learning to address some of his weaknesses, such as analytics, of course, which was, he was criticized in St. Louis about. He also talked about uh, working with a media consultant, which was really interesting uh, because he, you know, he had a really good press conference. I thought, you know, and I think the the media here was pretty complimentary of him, or at least willing to give him a chance. Which, you know, I think they would probably be willing to give pretty much anyone they hired a chance. But but I think he did kind of do a pretty good job wooing the media in his, his kind of media blitz that you uh, took throughout town. So that consultant seemed to work out really well. Craig, what was kind of your takeaway from the, from the initial press conference? Uh, you know, he said a lot of the right things. Uh, do you think uh, that he'll follow through on some of those things? Well, he certainly did, you know, quote unquote, win the press conference. Um, it, and, and that's the, that's the big question is, is, you know, what, what happens next? You know, talk is cheap and, and the Royals and, and Dayton Moore and, and, you know, just kind of the, the organization as a whole, you know, really kind of seem to have this, this way that they like to talk about these things. It's, it's very, you know, it strikes me as very corporate, very, uh, you know, heavy on the, on the buzzwords um, that just, it, it makes it just sound, I don't know. It, it's, it, it's just, to me, it's, it's kind of a, a surreal setting. And, and it was kind of the same way at the Ned Yost, uh, press conference when he announced his retirement, and and I, I, I contrast that to you know I, I listened to the Mets introduce Carlos Beltran and Brody Van Wagenen. Is, he's not as you know polished I think at, at this as as Dayton Moore is as, as Dayton Moore has become through his you know fourteen years you know in in charge of, of the Royals, but but there was just kind of like um a, you know like a, a genuineness there that, that I really feel like I'm missing in these Royals press conferences. There's a, a sterility to this um, that, that just it feels very corporate to me. Um, in, in my post on the site um, after the, the press conference, I, I used the term corporate Christianity because that's it, it seemed to be a lot of, you know, IBM sort of buzzwords about, you know, being active and and whatnot with you know the importance of, of faith and and how you know, uh, you know Matheny is on on this journey of, of enlightenment. Um, it's 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 an odd uh, combination, um, and and it just it it's you know the, the the press conference left me really with 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 more questions than anything. But you know uh, I, I think that you know we'll see. You know I, I mean it it, it sounds trite. But at this point, we have to wait and see. The Royals made their decision. 
Um, I'm not entirely sure that they did the due diligence that they, you know, liked, um, you know, would want us to believe that they did. I think it was Matheny from, you know, almost the the very first day that that, that he walked into the front offices of Kauffman Stadium. And, uh, you know, I I think that... uh, this was just all kind of part part of the uh, the plan that, that has been in place for uh, for a year or so. Well, I I, I do I guess note that um, you know a lot of Cardinal fans brought this up too is that you know he said a lot of the right things in the press conference about analytics and how but you want to foster relationships and a lot of St. Louis Cardinals fans said well yeah he said the same thing when he got hired six and a half you know seven years ago with the Cardinals and he didn't really follow through on any of that. But I, I will take a little issue. I, I did kind of buy into his kind of contrition, and I think he was kind of beat up in St. Louis by the media and by the fans a little bit, and maybe that took him by surprise and caused him to look at some introspection. And remember, he went into that Cardinals job without any experience as a manager or coach. So that was kind of a, you know, he was kind of thrown to the wolves there, you know, just to go from, like, no coaching experience to coaching at a very high level. And the Cardinals were the reigning champions when he took over. And, you know, he's expected to kind of keep up that level of play, which he did for a couple of years. Uh, and I think he was kind of uh, maybe taken off, uh, taken aback a, a little bit by some of the uh, kind of the turbulence that ended up coming St. Louis. And I think maybe he learned from that. And I, so I think there is a chance that maybe he is a different manager now because he got that opportunity in St. Louis and did learn on the job maybe was a little green and as a different manager now. Uh, on the other hand, like, I don't know if I want the Royals to take that chance. I mean, like Matthew mentioned, there is an opportunity cost here. I thought there was a particularly strong crop of candidates available, not just Pedro Grafal, who I, who I like. I thought Vance Wilson, the bullpen coach, a lot of people have a lot of great things to say about him as a kind of an up-and-coming managerial candidate. I like Dusty Wathen, uh, former uh, Royals player and the son of the former Royals manager who's kind of an up-and-coming um, analytics-skewed uh, coach with the Phillies. Um, certainly a lot of experienced managers like Joe Madden out there. I don't know if he'd come to Kansas City, but um, you know certainly guys like John Farrell, who's won a world championship, he's available. Uh, so there are definitely some guys out there that um, maybe if the Royals had, had done their due diligence, like you say, uh, and maybe expanded their search a little bit, maybe could have been better candidates. But uh, I don't know, uh, Sean, when it all comes down to it, is is the manager's position all that important in the rebuild? I mean, what's the worst Matheny can do at this point? I mean, I guess you could make that. So, yeah, I mean, I think you can make the consideration that during a rebuild, the only thing a manager really needs to do is just play the young guys and not piss people off, basically. Um, I don't really have a doubt that he's going to play the young guys. I think that's pretty standard for any manager. Um, Yost, Yost kind of got in the way a little bit, but then eventually he figured it out and you know just sl- penciled in all the kind of quote-unquote young guys uh, throughout the year. But um, yeah, I think it's just not mess up playing time and then um, just kind of making sure that the prospects and the young guys have all, of, all the development they need. I mean – there was the spat, obviously, in St. Louis with Jordan Hicks. I don't necessarily think that's going to automatically happen uh, here with Matheny. Uh, but, you know, effectively, he just as long as he kind of stays out of his own way, because, I mean, it's really not that hard to, to to manage a rebuilding team. Like I said, it's really just setting the lineup, making sure kind of the future players are in the lineup and, um, you know, 
just kind of like I said, getting out of getting out of the way, really. Just letting them do their thing, man. In the sense that you know, nobody wants to just you know lose 110 games. Um, but I, I do think that you know, hopefully, he's going to be a little more con- uh, concede to the idits. You know, I, I kind of learned from my time in St. Louis, and um, I'm just kind of here to to do what's needed. Yeah, and a lot of people made that comparison with with Ned Yost. How Yost was, you know, he had some problems in Milwaukee. He overmanaged. Uh, I, I've heard a little bit of reports of him uh, not getting along with Bill Hall very well in that clubhouse. So he had some tensions as well. And of course, he was fired with just two weeks to go in the season. So that's not really a good, very, very good mark on his resume. And then he comes to Kansas City and kind of learns from that experience, becomes a different kind of manager, delegates more to his players, uh, becomes a guy that they can really trust. So a lot of people pointed to that as maybe a, a reason to um, kind of give Matheny a chance. Craig, you wrote about second chances with, with Matheny. Uh, what are kind of your thoughts about Matheny getting that second chance here, and, and do you feel like he can grow as a manager? Yeah, I mean, I I, I wrote in, in, in the article that, that everyone deserves a second chance. It's, you know, uh, really up to, you know, finding that that opportunity that that uh that, that fits and of, of course Matheny said that you know he feels like you know he was he was meant to be in Kansas City um so you know yeah he can he can certainly learn from his his mistakes that, that he made in St. Louis and and as you mentioned you know he was he was stepping in you know behind Tony La Russa and a world championship team I I mean you know, say what you want about Larusa, but that's he's a Hall of Fame manager, and uh, and and taking the reins of, of a team that's just won a title is you know, I mean, really, there's no place to go. It's it's tough as as we know to to win the whole thing first of all, and, and or to, to to repeat, and uh, you know, he, he was he was always kind of kind of facing some some you know obstacles, some hurdles in his way, but you know, in St. Louis, it just it, he didn't show really any kind of signs of, of growth, any kind of, of um, you know, you know, hitting uh, one obstacle and, and figuring out how to, how to work through that. It just, you know, the, the, the clubhouse discord, you know, the lip service to the analytics. Of course, he's, he's addressed all of that and says that he's learned from it. And, you know, of, of course, the parallel is Ned Yost, and it's it's one that Royals fans are, are very familiar with. And Yost was able to to take that second chance and to find redemption. I mean, like you said, he, he was fired with 10 days to go in the season when his team was in the thick of a pennant race or in the thick of a, a, a chase for a postseason berth. And, you know, to, to, to be so close to that and to literally have it ripped away from you, and then to land in a, in a new spot a, a year or two later, and and finally, you know, after you know four or five more years of struggle, getting back to that that moment and and finally realizing that, I mean, you know, that's a great story. And uh, you know, obviously, the the Royals are going to hope that they've that they've got that again in Matheny. And uh, you know, he he definitely said the right things. The the analytics course that that Matt mentioned that, that he took. You know that's a you know that's a positive step. All the time that that he mentioned in the press conference, you know, spending with, with you know scouts, going to you know different uh, affiliates in the minor leagues, talking to coaches, 
um, you know, talking to the analytics staff, to the performance staff, baseball operations, all these people in the organization, he's been groomed for this second chance. Um, the Royals did everything that they could to make this, uh, you know, an easy transition for him. So he's got everything at his disposal. He's, you know, uh, set up for success. If, if it doesn't work out, uh, I think he would only have himself to blame. And it did seem kind of like a foregone conclusion. I mean, like, you know, ever since they hired Matheny as a special advisor last November, I think people be already began speculating that he would be the next in line to be the manager, just you know, kind of the same way uh, Yost took over when uh, he was hired as a special advisor with the Royals and then took over for Trey Hillman when he was fired. Uh, and, and uh, you know, Matthew, you mentioned some of the, the, the issues in St. Louis, and Sam Millinger had an interesting article last week after the press conference that – I guess added a little bit of context to those. I'd push back a little bit on that, like um, adding some context to the to the Jordan Hicks issue, which I still think it looks pretty bad that Matheny kind of just kind of glossed over that or really approved of that. Uh, but he also added some context to the Fowler-Matheny relationship. But his, the, the red flag that uh, Mellinger raised, which I thought was kind of interesting, is that um, Dayton Moore kind of zeroed in on, on, on Matheny and had kind of a little bit of tunnel vision um, at least that's the way it looks from the outside. I mean, there weren't um, there weren't any publicly mentioned external candidates. Uh, Jeffrey Flanagan did mention that they remotely interviewed two uh, or a couple external candidates, but we never learned who that was. Uh, they never brought them into Kansas City for an interview, so I can't imagine they were very serious about that. They did interview Pedro Grafal and Vance Wilson, but it seemed like it was Matheny the whole time, and Mellinger says that this may link the fate of Dayton Moore to make Matheny a little too closely in that um, he is just so fixated on Matheny that he's just not going to look at the red flags. And, you know, Dayton Moore has kind of gotten a position now where he pretty much has this job as long as he wants it, I think, at this point. And, you know, if he wants to hire a guy who shares his values, then that's fine. But um, I don't know. Is are we kind of is Dayton Moore getting to a point where we have to worry about um, the accountability of like him maybe being uh, looking past red uh, red flags because he's kind of earned this position with the Royals where he can kind of do what he wants and if he wants to hire Mike Matheny without considering other candidates that's what he's going to do. You know, I think I think that's a good point, but I also think that the new ownership group um, sort of adds um, a pretty significant wrinkle into this. Um, you know, it's it's funny. The the first substantive thing that Moore said in the press conference was, uh, we went into this with a completely open mind, which is just hilarious <laughs> because that's either just like completely not true or just like so far into GM speak, you know. I'm sure that he thought that he did a, a thorough job of, of, you know, vetting you know, Matheny. And maybe that was his process, right? It's, I think this is the guy we want, but we're going to spend a year with him and, and see, you know? Um, so, but the, the thing that, you know, maybe I would maybe not push back against Meller, but I think uh, Mellinger about this, but it's important to note that when Moore, you know, made the decision to hire Matheny, he basically had to clear it with two ownership groups, right? So he had to clear it with the glasses and he also had to clear it with, you know, John Sherman and whoever else is in that ownership group, which we don't really know at the moment. Um, so I do think that that sort of tempers it a bit that Dayton Moore had to pick up his, you know, his manila folder, go 
to a billionaire's office and John Sherman, a guy who is never really worked with and sit down and sell Matheny. And I don't think that the concern that he am because of similar, um, you know, that he honed in on him and overlooked the red flags. I don't think that's as big of a deal because of how, more had to sell it to the new ownership group. I do think it's it's a reasonable ecosystem to their sort of uh, blinders on. Like they, you know, I, I mentioned in my article that uh, just jokingly that they might have just interviewed Manti Teo's girlfriend, you know, for the external <laughs> candidate. Because like there's, there's no evidence that it, it happened or was, was anything. So, you know, that's, that's sort of, you know, kind of chagrined at that. But um, the new ownership group does throw a wrinkle into this, and I think that makes the concern about uh, Melliger's concern a little, a little tempered. I think. And I wanted to add about kind of hiring his kind of guy. I mean, I respect everyone's right to choose, you know, whatever religion they choose to follow. But we know that this organization is very, very uh, religious uh, when it comes to decisions and philosophy and kind of how they approach things. Um, and so I think hiring, obviously, a manager who's fairly deeply religious um, was likely maybe not a large deciding factor, but a factor. I think that's something they definitely considered that maybe other organizations might not have considered necessarily. Yeah, and I, I mean, I wonder how much of a factor. I mean, Dayton Moore did mention in the press conference how he kind of viewed the manager position as like more than just winning games. And it has to do with being a part of the community, which Mike, you know, to his credit, Mike Matheny is like involved with community projects. He built a, he helped build a baseball field for, I believe like special needs kids. Um, you know, he does a lot of really good charitable work. And I think, I mean, I think that's great that they consider that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, you know, sports transcends the community. And, and, and we certainly saw that I think in 2015 when the team won a championship. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to say that it has a kind of those kind of values and, and, and does great things off the field. Uh, but, you know, ultimately this does come down to wins and losses. And I guess you don't want to sacrifice, you know, a good manager that maybe is like a, you know, doesn't do things in the community, just keeps to himself uh, just because you want someone who is, is, is a really good guy off the field. Um, but, you know, that being said, Matheny did have some success as a manager. I guess what it, with me, it's just, you know, Matheny's, I don't think it's a terrible, terrible hire. I think it's not, not the guy I would have chosen. But... I, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like you kind of have to like do gymnastics to kind of justify the move. It's like, well, if he improved and learned a little bit about the clubhouse and learned about analytics, then, yeah, he could be a pretty good manager. Whereas like, you know, Carlos Beltran is walking to that Mets job is like, oh, yeah, he's great in the clubhouse. Or like, you know, certain manager Joe Madden, you know, has, has a reputation for winning a championship and being really good at analytics. And, you know, certain managers, I think, are walking into the job with like, oh, yeah, he's got reputation with analytics where, you know, we just kind of have to hope that what he said in his press conference is accurate uh, and, and or that he'll follow through with it. So I think one thing we're really forgetting that I think deserves a lot more attention that I, I think I'm going to write 10, 20,000 words on this is that affliction shirt that Mike Bethany was wearing. <laughs> In that one photo? <laughs> oh, there, no, that's not just one photo. There are a number of photos with him. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I just saw the one. No, oh, I think no. there's a couple of them. <laughs> not to uh, besmirch any listeners that, that love yeah. Affliction shirts, yeah, yeah. but uh, that's, yeah, it is Mike Matheny's shirt of choice. So, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see how Mike Matheny does. Um, uh, he's our skipper. Um, and look, 
you know, I'll say this about Mike Matheny. He has won games. I mean, we, we are not that far removed from hiring Buddy Bell, who walked into Kansas City with one, like, one of the worst records uh, of among any active manager. Uh, so this is, you know, certainly you would want a guy that at least won some baseball games. He certainly had some talent in St. Louis, uh, but hopefully if the Royals ever get some talent, he can win as well here. Was, uh, was speaking of managers, was I don't remember, was Trey Hillman, was he getting interviews anywhere else, or did he kind of just come out of nowhere? I don't remember that hiring very much. It was a pretty like, out, you know, um, kind of out of left field hire. I mean, he was managing in Japan, obviously. Yeah. And I don't think I remember hearing much buzz about him. Now, this is like pre-Twitter, but, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't okay. think he was like a hot I just, prospect. And I can anyone name another manager that went right, you know, went from Japan to or Korea or, you know, a, another league right to managing an MLB team? No, he I was very, he was uh, unique in that respect. I yeah. don't think anyone okay. had done it before. I don't think anyone's done it since. So uh, he was very unique. And, and Matheny was very unique, too, in that. He was one of the first, if not the first, manager in some time to get managed without to get hired without any coaching experience yeah. or managing experience at any level. He, I mean, he came straight from like a front office role with the Cardinals, where he was just kind of helping out in spring training, to managing the team, and that was I think that was a pretty big shock at the time. Now we've had some since then, and they've had varying levels of success, but um, he was kind of unique in that respect. So um, yeah, so, so Dayton Moore likes to uh, kind of think outside the box a little bit he did say he wanted someone with managerial experience uh or at least that was kind of the reports from from sam mellinger and some others so i guess we shouldn't be too surprised that that Matheny got the job in that respect but um but yeah i you know i think a lot of us saw this coming so <laughs> uh, I, I, I was going to throw in there real real quick hillman had a little bit of buzz because he, he had been associated with the yankees and at the mm-hmm. time uh joe torrey had retired and there was a thought that Hillman was kind of a guy that they were going to be looking at in New York. And it was, it was kind of seen and either it may be overblown a little bit of a, a, a coup that, that Dayton Moore was able to, to get Hillman before the, before the Yankees did just kind of, you know, uh, I, I don't know if that, that was overplayed or not, but um, that, that was certainly something that, that was, um, that, that was going on at the time with Hillman. But yeah, it just, it's, I don't know, uh, Matheny, you know, another in, in the line of, 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 you know, hires, you know, the, the just, you know, kind of underwhelming, I guess. Not getting Hillman led them to uh, Joe Girardi. I think that was manager right after Tory, right? And so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's hilarious. That is <laughs> one of the best managers of the past, maybe 10 years, almost didn't happen because Trey Hillman got the way. Uh, that's a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Yeah. Sometimes the best hires you make are the ones that you don't make, right? Absolutely. Uh, there was a question on Twitter I saw that uh, was kind of interesting. Is this the last hire, the last manager that Dayton Moore ever hires? Because you got to figure if he succeeds, he'll stay here for a long time until Dayton Moore decides to retire. If he doesn't succeed, and I, I always say like Dayton Moore can have the job as long as he wants it, but if, I don't know, like I, he would probably get a long leash here, but... I don't know. Like, if he doesn't work out, yeah. what what happens next? He sticks around if he sticks around if Glass or one of the Glass family members, I think, is the owner. But I think under Sherman, this is it. I mean, I, I, he doesn't have he doesn't have the unlimited leash. I think he would have had under Glass, in my opinion. Um, I'm not basing that off of any inside knowledge, but I just feel like the Glass family hired him. 
he was their guy. But now that Sherman is here, I think I could see that it's likely this would be it. The only thing I could see would be like an undead Yost kind of thing where Yost was just fired. Uh, even though the team was successful, Yost was fired, uh, you know, whatever, a month before the playoffs. I could see something like that where the team is really good, uh, but we just know that it's it's a manager issue. It's not a team issue necessarily. That's a scenario where I could see him still being GM, but, you know, hiring a new manager after Matheny. Yeah, I think if there's any kind of story at all of like, clubhouse tensions or you know some player complains about you know something happening in that clubhouse porn <clears throat> yeah <laughs> well well that would never happen under a Matheny tenure but uh yeah then then I think you at least point to Matheny and say well that guy's got to go um but yeah I don't know like Dayton I feel I always feel like Dayton Moore has a job here as long as he wants it but I imagine if this if this rebuild that we're currently on if if it just really falls apart and doesn't happen. I think there's going to be some. I mean, there are already some fans that I kind of see, want to kind of think he's lost his fastball. And I think if this rebuild, if like the, the, these pitchers just don't pan out, if like Alberto Montesi just isn't really quite as good as we thought he's going to be, and you know they're just kind of mired in ninety to hundred losses every year, I think the drumbeat would probably start at some point among even the mainstream fans. But I don't know. They're, 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 the leash can only be so long. I think uh, even for a general manager that's won a ring, but. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if you look at Clint, uh, Clintac in Philly, he's on his third manager now. Uh, Mackinnon, who I, I don't know if he hired Mackinnon or not, but he was there when Clintock took over, and then Kapler, now Girardi. So, I mean, it's it could be quick turnover. I mean, you know, that's crazy situation that he's on number three already. Um, so I'd, I think that there could be another one under more potentially. Well, I was also thinking, like, with GMs, that Dave Dombrowski just got fired, and he uh, won a championship oh, yeah. two years ago. So, yeah. And he's, you know, arguably one of the best GMs of the last 20 years. So uh, I guess it can happen to anyone, but uh, we'll see. Hey, we'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Alex Gordon's uh, future with the Royals. Well, the Royals have begun making off-season transactions. Uh, this last week they declined the $23 million option on Alex Gordon gave him his $4 million buyout. The move was pretty expected, and the Royals could still bring back the Gold Glove winning left fielder if they wanted to. Uh, he said he will take the offseason to kind of determine whether or not he wants to return and play uh, baseball for another season. Craig, uh, what's kind of your stance on uh, prediction on Alex Gordon returning this year? I mean, is it, it, seems, it seems like it's kind of 50-50 right now, isn't it? Really still up in the air, and and Gordon, you know, commented after uh, hearing the Matheny press conference that you know uh, he was enthusiastic a, a, about that, about the possibility of playing for a new manager. Um, so you can you know you, you can certainly see that. Um, I, I think it just you, you know it, it's a matter of uh, as we said all along, if he if he really really wants to come back, if if he wants to put himself through that grind of a, another season, we know that he really only wants to play for the Royals. Um, so then, then the question becomes, you know, what makes it worth it to, to him to get back on the field and, and will the Royals feel like, you know, they can, you know, uh, spend any kind of chunk of their budget on him. It's not going to, you know, obviously take what it took the last time to, to get him back into Kansas city. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll be here. It would be a, a, a one year deal, relatively modest contract for sure. So. Um, you know, it, it's it's a matter of the two, the two sides coming together. But 
Yeah, right now, I, I mean, I, I would characterize it as a, as a, as a coin flip. I don't, I don't have a read on, on it either way. I can talk myself into him coming back, and then, you know, uh, an hour later, I can talk myself into him, uh, uh, you know, hanging it up. So uh, at this point, just uh, who really knows? The, you know, it's Matthew, it's been assumed the Royals would kind of welcome him back. I mean, like a public statement on that, to that effect, like, oh, yeah, we would definitely re-sign him. I mean, I'm sure there might be some kind of understanding, you know, privately between them and Alex Gordon, or maybe it does depend on price. Like if Alex Gordon is saying, Hey, I'm a veteran, give me $15 million. And they're like, yeah, hold on, buddy. Uh, maybe there's a difference there. Uh, but should the Royals even bring him back? Uh, if he wants to continue playing, I mean, you wrote an article back in August about how, if he does return, he shouldn't be necessarily the starter anymore. What's your kind of your stance on, on whether or not the Royals should bring back, a player of his age when they're going through a rebuild, obviously. Yeah, you bring you bring up a good point there regarding like the price because you can really easily get into an awkward situation where the Royals, you know, are interested in bringing him back, and Gordon just is also interested in bringing himself back, you know, to play another year, uh, but they just can't come to terms on a contract, which seems like a really crappy way for a really long, you know, partnership to end. So that's, you know, that's that's the interesting thing. And I, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen, but I think that's a possibility, you know, potentially. So, uh, you know, that's interesting. And as to whether or not they should bring him back, you know, I I don't really think that he should should be back, really. I mean, if you're going to keep Whit Merrifield, which they probably are, you know, he slots in pretty naturally to left field, then you've got a combination of Brett Phillips, uh, Bubba Starling, uh, Jorge Soler, Ryan McBroom, perhaps even Hunter Dozier, um, and maybe after a couple months, Nick Heath and Khalil Lee to fit the other two outfield spots. And that, you know, gets pretty crowded pretty quickly. And you could easily say, hey, look, Bubba Starling was never any good in the minor leagues. He was really bad as a hitter in the major leagues. He's probably not going to stick. And, you know, you'd be fine. But and probably pretty accurate there. You know, I don't know if I don't know if Bubba Starling's going to be any good, but the you don't know for sure. You know what you're getting in Alex Gordon for the most part at this point in his career. You do not know what you're getting in Bubba Starling or Brett Phillips. You know, you hope and pray for a Whit Merrifield to happen, but the important part of that is a Whit Merrifield late bloomer type situation can't happen if you don't let it happen, right? If the Royals had never played Whit Merrifield, we wouldn't have Whit Merrifield. So if they want these sort of more late bloomer type Whit Merrifield or even Hunter Dozier, you know, kind of guys in their mid to late 20s, they've got to play them, you know, and play them a lot. So with, you know, with Whit Merrifield starting in right and Alex Gordon starting in left, you know, all of a sudden you're down to one outfield spot um, and you're playing Whit Merrifield out of position anyways. Um, so it's, I don't think they should. I think Alex Gordon makes sense as a, you know, corner guy. So maybe he plays left, maybe he plays right, maybe he plays in first base because the Royals aren't set there, you know, really. Um, and, you know, maybe he could, you know, sub in at third base every once in a while. He can too. You can, yeah, he's a, um, you know, maybe like a, you know, a sort of in his last leg as a major leaguer to just, you know, be a, be a sort of kind of super sub. So he, he plays around the diamond, um, you know, at the corners. I think that's pretty an ideal position for him you know, then he can offer his, his leadership skills, which I do think are going to be important, you know, when, you know, these young top prospects come, 
come up this year. Um, so, but he's never uh, he's never tricky. been like a he's never been like a rah rah clubhouse guy though. He's always been kind of a yeah. lead by example. Like, dude, look how many inches this guy's doing in the club <laughs> in the weight room. Not not really a you know. And I think that probably means a little bit. And like guys see him like sh- you know doing his power shags in left field, and that does leave an impression of like you know the work ethic and stuff. But you know he's not like. Hey, like giving tips to Ryan McBroom. Hey, you should, you know, do this and, uh, you know, pumping guys up, you know, the way, you know, Raul Abanez or Carlos Beltran did. So I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm just, you know, the leadership, I think you're right, does matter a little bit, but probably not as much with a guy like Alex Gordon as maybe some other players. I got to say that as far as it goes with bringing Gordon back, though, like, like how Leo said to Josh, I got a job. You got a job. So as long as our squad is playing baseball, he's welcome to play for the Royals uh, under my administration. That's a least. that's a West Wing know. reference there. Yes, it is. A 20, a twenty year old TV show. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, um, whoa. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's I do agree with Matthew. I think you know every at bat that he gets is an at bat that's not going to a younger player. But on the other hand, how many guys on this current roster are realistically going to be part of the next good Royals team? I mean, it's nice to think there are some late bloomers, definitely. And you never know unless you give them a chance, but like Ryan McBroom, Brett Phillips, Bubba Starling, you know, we're all kind of just hoping beyond hope that they suddenly become really good players. And they're probably not, they're probably going to be not in the major leagues or perhaps not even in baseball in three years when the Royals hope to be pretty good. Uh, And so, I don't know. Does it matter that much? Yeah. Eh, I don't know. Um, I mean, you don't think the 713 at-bat or plate appearances that Jorge Bonifacio has that, that we've seen enough, you need another <laughs> 713 or, yeah. I think yeah. most, of, most of these guys we've typically figured it out. I know, I know Moore has his a thousand at-bat plate, whatever it was that number he looks for. But I think that makes sense for, you know, very top prospects. Mostly, of course you'll have your Merrifields, but you know, Moustakas deserved it. And by the way, Moustakas was good when he first came up anyways. Right. He had a three-win season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for very top guys, you know, you shouldn't give up. That's why guys like Jerks and Profar still get playing time. Um, I'm sure Jesus, Jesus Montero is somewhere still. Um, so stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, he, he's not blocking any – he's not blocking Will Myers. Um, and, you know, I think – you get we'll get more enjoyment as fans with him playing than seeing you know Jorge Bonifacio strike out thirty five percent of the time. Yeah, uh, we'll probably get more into the off season. I think in the next you know following weeks, uh, there really isn't so much news to get into yet. Uh, but any thoughts on like maybe just general strategies or general philosophies or directions you think the Royals will go into? I, I would expect I guess kind of a quiet off season uh, Craig what are you kind of looking for from the Royals as they go into this off season looking to a, n- avoid 100 losses for the third consecutive season it's going to be uh, super quiet um, boring to the to the point of where we will celebrate any move that is a minor move is a major baseball move um, <laughs> they're going to they're, they're, they're going to dumpster dive for some starting pitching uh, you know, they'll, they'll try to acquire, you know, a couple of guys off the scrap heap, uh, to cobble together a, a semi-useful bullpen. Um, you know, we just, we haven't seen a lot of competition for spots the last, uh, several years. Uh, so I, I, I just think it's going to be, you know, they're, it's a rebuild and, and it, it doesn't make sense at this stage in the rebuild to, you know, make a splashy trade, make a big free agent signing, 
that's all, you know, a year or two down the road, unless they can, you know, absolutely, you know, grab somebody that, you know, with, with, you know, six years of control, but they don't have anybody of value to really trade that, that would bring them back any kind of a top prospect. So I, I think it's just, it's, it's going to be a, a, a quiet uh, winter where they're just kind of, you know, uh, towards this, this upcoming season, they might not lose a hundred games. I think 90 is, is realistic for, for this team. Um, you know, maybe 95. So it's just, it's, 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 it's going to be kind of a carbon copy of what we've seen here the last couple of years. I'm expecting a slow off season, but two, two caveats to that. Number one, we have new ownership, and we don't really know what direction the ownership wants to go in, whether or not they want to kind of accelerate this rebuild. Maybe they want to make a big splash, or maybe they just want to keep going the way they're going and, and say, okay, Dayton Moore, you, you lead us to where you want to go. And the second thing is, I think Dayton Moore hates losing, and I think the last two seasons have really worn on him. I don't think he's ex- he expected the team to be this bad, and I got hired. He made some moves early on. He went out and signed Gilnesh. He went out and signed Jose Guillen, even though they were nowhere near being a contender, but just because he hated losing so much and wanted to get that team improved quickly. So, Matthew, you know, can you see a scenario where the the Royals are actually a little bit aggressive? Not like going after Garrett Cole necessarily, but maybe adding some pieces to the team rather than taking away. Yeah, I think your sort of top um, you know, percentile type of thing that the Royals do would go out and get someone like Mike Moustakas, one of those kind of mid-tier free agents that you offer, you know, four years to, maybe, you know, 40 to $60 million, depending on what it is. Kind of Gilmesh type of money, you know, when he signed for $55 million in, what was it, 2007? Uh, was his first year. Um, I think that's that's possible. That's certainly possible. And I think it makes sense from a Royals perspective. Um, over at Royals Review, we just did our 2019-2020 um, off-season simulation. Um, and for the first time since its inception, I ran the Royals. Um, Resting not, control from Josh Dugan and his iron grip. <laughs> that's correct, for the very first time. Um, and so my by the time you, you listen to this podcast, my article about what I did and why I did it will be up Um on Royals Review, but I went out and I signed Mike Moustakis, and the reason being is that Mike Moustakis is a guy who can play third base, um, and he showed he could play second base in Milwaukee this year, um, and he's also like a type of classic guy who might, you know, shift over to first base or play first base if they need him, and if you look at all of the non-Hunter Dozier players on the team who played this position, like, they combined for, like, I don't know, negative three wins below replacement right so like they're really bad so if you want to shore up you know your third base you know playing and you've got no one in the pipeline at third base like at all i don't know you know i don't think kevin Kelvin gutierrez is going to be you know your guy um you know i think moose makes sense right or maybe some like you know a mid-tier starting pitcher or, or somebody like jeremy guthrie that they spend 30 million dollars on i think that's possible but you're right we have to wait and see what the ownership group does. And I do really think it's interesting, you know, we talk about David Glass, you know, being, you know, stingy or we joke about, you know, Glass won't let, you know, the Royals do what they want. We really don't know, right? We don't know if Dayton, how, to what extent what Dayton has done has been because of ownership or limited by ownership. We really don't know. So it'll be interesting if something happens, uh, for sure. But I do think that, you know, 
maybe a reunion with Moustakas is possible. Maybe they go out and sign Gerard Dyson or something to a couple million dollars. Um, that's I'd, I'd like to see Moose hit. I'd lo- I'd love to see a home run chase between Moose and Solaire. That'd be that'd be fun. <laughs> Sean, uh, you know, we, we, maybe we don't know what the Royals are going to do, but what what should they be doing when you're going through a rebuild like this? I mean, we knew, we saw them go through kind of the poo-poo platter of like cheap free agents at the end of all the offseason last year, and for the most part, that really didn't work out, uh, save for J- Jake Diekman, uh and I guess Martin Maldonado, although that was really a signing out of necessity once Salvador Perez got hurt. Uh, you know, if you're kind of running the Royals, uh, what would be your your kind of your principles or your main objectives this offseason? Well, I mean, you could just go back and listen to our podcast we did literally a year ago. Uh, (laughs) Nothing has changed in that sense that they're still in that same thing. Um, I wrote that piece probably a year, year and a half ago about the tenets of a rebuilding team. And like I said, it's all the same thing. They need to be um, trying to swap uh, future value, present value for future value. Sorry. Um, So guys like Merrifield who have more value to the twenty. 24 Royals or 2025 Royals or so uh, than the 2020 Royals and by that I mean on different teams essentially Um, and so yeah I mean pursuing those kind of trades obviously unlikely I think but um, doing things like that they didn't do great with their some of their signings um, of the guys they try to bring in and then even the guys that I think they did fairly well on um, they didn't do anything with necessarily um, Ian Kidd is really the guy I'm thinking of there. Obviously, that was signed a few years ago, but I think you had the perfect tweet about that, where it was like, the Royals get something out of Ian Kennedy. You know, his bad contract finally has some value, then they don't do anything with it. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that they need to do again this offseason. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, if it is, if it does take kind of signing that kind of platter of guys um, that aren't that exciting, but you hope could rebound have a good season, and then flip them. Um, I think that's what you have to do and continue that and just pray Salvador Perez doesn't pick up any luggage or he's not on any barn roofs this, you know, spring training, that he just kind of can, you know, be healthy and everybody remains healthy and then um, go from there. As we speak, Salvador Perez is catching in a game somewhere somewhere in this world. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, yeah, we'll see see what the Royals are up to this offseason. I'm expecting a slow offseason, but... uh, if there is any news, of course, we'll catch it all at Royals Review. I, I did want to kind of wrap things up, uh, just kind of looking back at the postseason that just uh, happened. Uh, we have a new world champion, the Washington Nationals. Uh, and it was it was kind of an interesting postseason. That, you know, we talked all season about super teams and how great the top, you know, the cream of uh, the crop was with the Astros and the Yankees and the Dodgers. And here comes the Washington Nationals, a very flawed team, a team that had a bullpen ERA worse than the Royals this year, a team that was 19-31 and 31 at one point in the season. Uh, they sneak into the wild card. They win the wild card game and then go on a pretty crazy run um, back from elimination against the Dodgers. Make quick work of the Cardinals and then uh, make quick work or make a, have a great series of seven games against the Astros in which the road team won every single game. So pretty amazing series. Craig, I don't know. What, did you have any big takeaways from this World Series? Is there is are the Nationals a template that other teams can follow or is it just kind of a, a fun, goofy ride that that Nationals fans got to experience? Uh, you know, I, I, I think that the whole idea of, you know, like, uh, the, the, the templates or the trends, you know, seems to get overblown, you know, it's magnified in, in, in the postseason. It, uh, you know, when the Royals were in it, uh, five years ago, 
it was the killer bullpen. You know, you, you needed it to, to have, uh, you know, exceptional arms coming out in the, in the bullpen in their roles, you know, expand those roles a little bit by an inning or two um, to, to make up for, you know, the, the lack of depth of your starters. And then this year, you know, it was something like uh, six Nationals pitchers pitched 85% of the, the, the October innings for the team. Uh, so, so now, you know, the pendulum has swung back. You, you got to have horses in, in that rotation and to, 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 you know, get, get those innings. Of course, you know, the Expos or Expos, geez, um, show, showing my age. 14 the years Nationals, late. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The, the, the Nationals have, uh, you know, a lot of deferred money in, in, in these contracts that the, the, you know, they have in the, in the rotation. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's obviously expensive to do it. Not every team can, can make that happen. Uh, but you know, I mean, it's it overall, you know, my takeaway, it, it was a great story. It was fun to see those fans, uh, you know, get their first, uh, world championship, uh, with that, with that organization. Um, and you know, it wasn't a particularly compelling postseason. Uh, there, there weren't a lot of, you know, great astounding moments that, that, that we'll probably, you know, look back on, uh, you know, in, in the, in the seven games, but, but, uh, you know, it was, it was generally, uh, you know, well played and, and congrats to the, to the nationals for, uh, for persevering. I, I mean, you know, the road team went in every game, like you said, I, I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's pretty amazing to have that happen. It, yeah. It was a kind of a dud of a world series in that each of the games wasn't close except for game seven. And I think Howie Kendrick's two run home run. Uh, I want to say that was like the sixth, most uh, highest WPA for like a championship, you know, like a, a got a team closer to championship. One play that got a team closer to championship than any other play in like baseball history. You know, obviously like Joe Carter's home run to win it all would be up there. Bill Mazeroski's walk off to win the 60 series for the pirates would be up there. Uh, but, but yeah, that was a huge swing that, that just totally swung the game. And that, I think that game was pretty compelling. Uh, Sean, Craig talked a little bit about the the starting pitching, and it was I think it was kind of interesting about these teams. They they really invested in in players. I mean, they were seventh and eighth in, in the league in payroll. Uh, the Astros went out and got Zach Greinke. The Nationals went out last uh, fall, last winter, and got Patrick Corbin. Um, a lot of you know a lot of star power on both teams. We already you know we had an off season last year where teams were kind of hesitant. It seemed like to go into free agency that much. Seeing the Nationals and Astros do this, Sean, do you think that changes at all this winter, or um, are we still going to see teams holding back a little bit? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, one thing that made me mad about that is, for some reason, who got crapped on the most? It was Bryce Harper. It's like, who cares? (laughs) Move on. Yeah. Like, someone tweeted, like, oh, you know, the Nationals didn't spend whatever, $300 million on Bryce Harper. Yeah, because they spent half a billion on three other pitchers. And so, I don't know. I would hope so. Um, you would think Scott Boris, who, gosh, I forget. I think Fangraphs mentioned he he's he's the agent for like 14 of the top 20 free agents this offseason or something. So, it's kind of like maybe he'll be competing against himself um, with some of these guys. But, yeah, I mean, you would hope for the, those free agents that it's going to be um, kind of good omens for them. I mean – Clearly, Scherzer is a robot, and everybody loves Garrett Cole. Um, and so, you know, I think those top guys are still going to get it. And that's what we saw last year, too. It wasn't necessarily the top guys, the Bryce Harpers, the Machados. Those guys all kind of got the money they were mostly expecting. Uh, you know, I think we overblew it a bit with people thinking Harper would get $500 million, but $330 million that he got um, was, you know, at the upper range of expectations. Uh, and so I still think guys like 
uh, coal are, are, are still going to get paid pretty handsomely. Um, but I'm still worried about that kind of quote unquote middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Moustakis is on back to back great years basically. And I, I, who knows, is he, is he going to get a multi-year deal? I know we've said it now two straight years that he's going to get one, but two straight years he hasn't. So, um, we'll see, but uh, you know, it'd be nice if the money gets spent. Um, certainly MLB teams have it. They have no excuse not to spend it, but you know, we'll see. I, I, I'm not optimistic necessarily, and I think Jeff Passan um, noted today that it's probably going to be another slow uh, winter again. Wonderful. <laughs> well, yeah, the, yeah, I think the top guys will get paid. I mean, like the three guys that really helped themselves in the series that are free agents. You know, Steven Strasberg, who was what six and zero now in World Series play or the postseason play, and uh, you know Garrett Cole, who is obviously you know just a beast in the postseason. And Anthony Rendon, who had a clutch hit just about every late inning uh, situation he came up in. I mean, they, those guys, yeah, I'm sure will get handsomely paid this offseason. But yeah, the middle—that's a good point about the middle class. I mean, Mike Mustakas, is there going to be a landing spot for him this year? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's going to be tough to say. Um, I don't know, Matthew. Do you have any parting takeaways from the the World Series or the postseason? I mean, I do think. I mean, I do like the fact that you know the Astros are extremely good. And they did not sit on their butt. They went out and they got better because they wanted to win another World Series. And I really respect that. You know, they went out and they got Zach Greinke. And, you know, he pitched pitched pretty well in that last game. Uh, You know, some bad bullpen management, I think, in my opinion, sort of uh, tarnished that, you know, the legacy for that specific game. But... I I don't necessarily think that that's going to bleed over into the offseason, but I do think that that might give teams a bit of a pause and an incentive to act at midseason, right, when you know more where you are. Um, I I certainly hope so, because I, I hate to see, you know, it's some a team like the Dodgers who's really good and they just sit there and they don't do anything, you know, rather than going out and trying, you know, to get better and win that World Series. And meanwhile, you know, who went out and got better? They, you know, the Nationals went out and they signed Corbin. The Astros went out and traded for Grinky. You know, I, I, I don't. I think there are larger problems at play with baseball and their salary structure and the sort of the union and everything. It's it's a mess. But I, I certainly hope that more teams would, you know, go out and try to win games rather than be profitable. Yeah, they're, and they're, I think oh, go ahead. a couple of the teams are under the luxury tax now. Um, Dodgers are, I want to say, I don't know where the Nationals sit, or at least they provide themselves with more room um, necessarily. So I think that'll help a bit. Um, I, I God, I thought I saw the Yankees cleared a bit of space. Yeah, I think the Yankees um, are, so, are kind of finally in a good spot for as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's going to help kind of uh, heat up some spending. Well, on the other Sorry. hand, the Red Sox and the Cubs have to get under. I think they, they've been kind of given orders to get under the, the cap. Um, the luxury tax, because uh, they're going to start facing punitive penalties. Uh, but I, speaking of the Dodgers, there's some tweet, I think, from John Heyman that was something to the effect of, like, the Dodgers management was bragging about how much they've cut payroll. It's like, you guys haven't won a championship, you know? Yeah. You've come pretty close. And, you know, if, as a, if I was a fan of one of these teams that was really good, I'd, you know, you don't know how long you're going to be, how many bites at the apple you're going to get. I mean, the Nationals, good for them, and they've got – a couple of really big free agents. I don't think they're going to be able to keep Strasburg and Rendon if they even keep one of them. But, you know, good for them. They won a championship and they kind of went all in this year. Uh, but, you know, if you're the Dodgers fan, you've got Clayton Kershaw in his prime. You've got, uh, you know, if he's healthy. You've got Cody Bellinger in his prime. You've got, you know, Seager in his prime. you got all these great players. 
you kind of have to go all in because you don't know. A couple years from now, you know, maybe Bellinger's not that good anymore. Maybe Seager gets hurt. Kershaw is washed up. I mean, it can all go and go to pot in a hurry. I mean, you know, look at the Cubs. Just a couple seasons ago, they were champions and looked like they were going to have a dynasty, and now it looks like they kind of have to retool or maybe shake things up a bit because they're not going to really uh, – they don't really have the farm system to keep it going. Um, so, yeah, things can change, and, and I, I would – if I were a fan of one of these big teams, I'd want my team to spend money. But, of course, it's not my money. So, Well, that'll pretty much do it for us tonight. Um, you can, uh, Of course, we'll be here all offseason keeping uh, tabs on the, the Royals' moves and uh, discussing the hot stove as it heats up. Uh, you can always visit our site at RoyalsReview.com and follow us on Twitter at RoyalsReview. Thanks to Sean, Matthew, and Craig for being on tonight. And thanks to our readers and listeners for giving us a follow. And we'll talk to you next time.